Welcome to the Artist Interview Series. In this podcast, we'll feature interviews with the brightest musicians and music instructors from around the world. Our goal is to provide meaningful conversations and insights into their creative process, to discover the inspiration behind the music, and to learn from the experiences of these talented musicians. Our host today is William Crawford, a Lilly Theatre Company drum instructor and assistant producer. So, let's jump right in and get to know this week's inspirational artist. Hello everyone, um, I'm French Bonjour, and welcome to this Lilly Theatre Company artist interview. First, first in-person artist interview. We always have a great guest who is a French writer and poet. He has written different poems and plays, wrote them in different languages, like French, English, Spanish, Russian, you count it. He wrote his poems in various venues. Please give a warm welcome to Olivier. As we are interviewing the, in this month of April, um, it's Jazz Appreciation this month, and this month is Autism Awareness Month. I'm one of the victims. I, <laughs> I have autism. And um, April has a huge history of being the same month, MLK. Martin Luther King was assassinated April 4th, 1968. And Kurt Cobain, I know um, later on we're going to talk a little bit about Kurt Cobain, passed away in 1994, tragically. Uh, So yeah, um, mentioned that in your opening statement. so what do you think about all these um, things going on in April and stuff? <laughs> well, April is also spring, the start of spring. Though spring here is a little bit uh, unsettled. It's very difficult to to know what's going on with, the, with that month, climate-wise. Uh, but yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of important events. Uh, obviously, the assassination of Martin Luther King, Luther King stands out as one of uh, most important and uh, it was been uh, interesting to me to reflect upon the, the political violence in this country if you think about it there's been four murdered presidents if I'm not mistaken yeah and at least two attempts uh, on or two others and um, and and a candidate like uh, Robert Kennedy was also murdered uh, yeah two brothers right so I mean, it's it's striking uh, in a in this beacon of you know freedom and liberty and so on uh, that you would have those events uh, and uh, so it, it you know it dates back to probably the origins of of, of this country which was born out of violence obviously uh, so. Independence War, and out of a very, very significant struggle uh, with the Civil War later on um, that really blooded this this place. And uh, so it's a country that has been uh, go, that's been going a lot through. I uh, solved some of these main issues through through uh, significant violence and, and and blood, and that's that's very unfortunate. But that's that's what it is. That's history. Well, thank you for giving us a little bit of history about... <laughs> you know more than I do. <laughs> um, 
So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, so yeah, I grew up in Paris. That's where I was born. My parents were from uh, the southern half of, of France. My dad was from Marseille, and my mom was from. Uh, well, she she was from Paris, but her parents were from uh, from the south, uh, in the mountains, uh, in the central mountains of France, which is where I spend a lot of time these days. Um, and um, yeah, so you know, I grew up in a. A fairly affluent uh, part of society. My grandfather was, uh, maternal grandfather, was the uh, first one to patent contact lenses in the world. So he had that uh, side of him and was a great cook too, <laughs> and a painter. And uh, my other grandfather was, uh, so my grandmother was a nurse. Uh, and a social worker and um, on my father's side my grandfather was a sailor he was a captain in the merchant fleet and then also uh, fought throughout the whole second most of the second world war actually he didn't join the, the war early on because he was still a merchant uh, sailor but then he joined the free French forces and uh, was part of um, you know the last two-thirds of the war and my grandmother was a household woman and, uh, and they lived for 14 years in Vietnam so I have also mm. a, a connect, an important connection with the Far East I lived there I lived in Korea for a year and a half I went to China I was one of the first foreigners to get into China in 1985 the year it was reopened to foreigners so I visited uh, a big chunk of China back then, and I went to Japan. So I, 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 I did speak some Mandarin and Korean, but since I don't practice, they have faded away a little bit. Uh, but I was always attracted by foreign languages, learning as many languages as I could because I wanted to get in touch with the world and know through, you know, personal direct contact with people, what was going on, you know, and sharing our humanity. That's something that's always been important to me. That's, uh, that's really great. <laughs> uh, the, the stories and stuff like that. Uh, what brought you to the Boston area? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, so it was my ex. <laughs> we were living in Paris. She's from Spain. And um, so we have two kids together, two daughters. And uh, she wanted to study uh, a master's in public health. She's an anthropologist. She had just got a PhD from a university in Paris and one in Spain as well. And uh, she said, you know, I'd, I'd love to, uh, to study public health. And, uh, but um, she thought that it would be more multidisciplinary in approach uh, uh, here in the US uh, and she also had spent a year in Santa Cruz California so she was you know already uh, she had some some um, 
understanding and, and, and knowledge and, and, and appreciation of this country. I had two because I had spent, when I was 18, I spent one month in Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh. Yeah. The deep south. Yeah, from 45 minutes north from New Orleans. You're, oh, you, you are? So I'm from Louisiana. Wow. <laughs> that's wow. my home. Okay, so we'll talk about Louisiana because that's the place I know best after the Boston area. New Orleans and, and, and Louisiana. Um, and one of my daughters has graduated from Tulane. The other one is nice. there now. Uh, uh, she's actually teaching uh, art, uh, sculpture. And uh, their mom is a professor at Tulane. So uh, it's coincidental, but Louisiana has been back into my life. And uh, so it was my first contact with the US, Shreveport, Louisiana. Then I spent a month in Northfield, uh, Minnesota. Yeah, later on. So, so she wanted to study here. We came here. She was accepted at Harvard, and um, and then she started a career there. And that's how we we stayed here. And then we split, but I decided that I would obviously stay to be with my daughters, and that they would have both their dad and mom around. Uh, that was important. Uh, we're in good terms, actually. We 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 stayed in good terms. Uh, always managing to be on the same page when it came to the kids. That's important. And uh, yeah, when we when we finally divorced, uh, we went to the court here in Cambridge and we came out <laughs> holding each other's arms. Well done. <laughs> How was how was like oh that's cool <laughs> that is something uh, you know uh, but yeah we've we've remained in, in, in good terms and, uh, yeah I'm glad that you're um, thoughtful having your kids there and being here for your for your kids and stuff and I'm yeah. glad you're um, I came up here for Berkeley and stuff so that was yeah. that was my uh, that's my college and stuff and that's like uh, it was like, but kind of like one of my first times. My other first time was being in Seattle, but not like a vacation. But like my mm -hmm. first time living up north was for college and stuff. So okay, you said forty-five minutes north of of New Orleans. Where's that? Um, Slidell, Slidell, Louisiana. It's a small town. Okay, it's um the other side of Lake Pontchartrain. <laughs> Lake Pontchartrain, yeah. yeah, it's on the other side, of Lake yeah. Pontchartrain. So yeah, that's my home. Yeah, but yeah, uh, well, I'm glad that you're. I, I've been I've been nearby. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's cool stuff and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, glad that you're in Boston, living your life and everything. So, uh, when did you first when did you first start writing? Oh, that is that goes a long way. I started writing uh, my first the first poems I wrote. I was nine, ten. Yeah, I wrote a bunch of that. And uh, I can actually remember the first I ever wrote. I can't recite it, but I, I do know what it's about. And I found it uh, not long ago. I, I found this little booklet. Um, then I then I really started writing during my youth as, as a teenager, poetry, stories, short and long. Uh, yeah, my... <clears throat> youth and young adulthood were very complicated and um, so I didn't really know uh, 
which which way to head generally speaking uh, uh, writing was uh, stories were my a bit my way out of uh, my troubles um, but even that was troubled I was discouraged a lot uh, from writing by my folks uh, especially my mom she didn't see it as a as something I should do and she tried to push back push it back um, and other things but um, yeah so I kept at it uh, there was one time when I threw out much of what I had written uh, it was sort of suicidal a little bit you know uh, in, in, in a way uh, but I, I, I couldn't help it I had to I had to get back to writing and so there was some gaps of nice um, but I never really stopped it always happened yeah I, I know it's with like I I don't like I'm not like an actual like writer but like I used to write just to get my feelings out yeah I think like when I'm like troubled or if I'm just have this like a mental breakdown or something like that, I just write it down and everything. It really like releases my troubled thoughts and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. kind of, it really helps and stuff. And I'm glad that you're- It is cathartic. Have that as part of your- It is career. partly cathartic. I know it helps to, it helps to clear out some of things, put in perspective sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's somewhat therapeutic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's helped me to see things I had not seen clearly before, uh, to put into perspective things that were blurred and uh, uh, which I had a vague sense of, but you know, putting the words on 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 those things just uh, was was uh, powerful and uh, and. Helped me um, understand what was going on. So, you know, sometimes did, but that came late. Actually, I, I, I had several attempts at you know uh, confronting some of my issues uh, directly through writing, but it was probably too direct. See what I mean? Like uh, mm -hmm. really getting into the thick of it, and and one. Uh, 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 more recently, uh, in a way that was completely unexpected, I got back at it, but that was not the primary intention. I was just exploring things that were going on with my brain that I thought were interesting, and uh, I was just trying to describe the, the ways uh, those things were were uh, showing up and. Uh, the, the, the lines of thoughts, how they were working in between each other, parallelly and so on. And just writing about that, which was kind of documentary, it opened up a whole new world and a whole new story. And I started, you know, getting back to traveling I had done and my younger years and, and, and that was what I had attempted to do before, but done in a very different way, 
and it was really revealing. Yeah, it's um, definitely helps a lot with um, writing and yeah. everything. And um, like I said, it really helps with the thinking and everything. And it's um, I'm glad that you're doing what you do and everything. It really helps you helps you do what you do and everything. Yeah. So anyway, so if there's any like big authors or any influences that got you to writing and stuff? Yeah, I've I've. Uh... Along the years, I've read a lot, and I've, uh, there's, there's always been authors that have uh, really struck me. Uh, <clears throat> so, I would say, uh, when I was a young, you know, kid, you know, a young person, I, I was uh, uh, very much into uh, reading uh, uh, Jules Verne, for example. Mm. So I read not everything, but a lot of what he wrote, and uh, a lot of uh, yeah adventures, uh, books, uh, voyages, um, mythology also, and um, myths from from around the world. Uh, I read a lot of science fiction too. Uh, lots of uh, lots of comics, comics, comic books are very popular in France, and uh, some of the best scenarios I've ever have read or have been uh, coming across uh, are from comic books, actually. Um, and then um, and then I start, you know, I was attracted by literature, but. Um, Somewhat a little bit uh, shy about it, I think. Uh, I was not very good at literature per se in school, academically speaking. It was, you know, it was probably because it was kind of forced onto me somehow. You know, you had to read this, you had to read that, and you had to write about it, you had to report about it. And that was not too much my thing. <laughs> it didn't feel very natural. But then I came across. Uh, some fantastic writers like Saint Exupéry. Mm. Uh, I read most of it. Uh, it was my the bedside book for a long time. Actually, when we moved here, that was the thing I was reading every day. Um, Jack London. Uh, I was uh, really. Uh, I felt very close to uh, to uh, his writings. Uh, especially the ones about his youth in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, his experience as a young uh, journalist. It was at a time when I was myself uh, trying to be a journalist, uh, coming back from Korea. I had published a number of articles about it. I had done a little documentary film with a French, uh, a French friend of mine that was aired on French TV. So I was, you know, and 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 getting paid was was difficult, and he, that's exactly what he was going through too mm. early on, and um, and some other things that like Martin Eden, for example, one of his novels, and the road, and all these writings about when he was, you know, going on the road and, and in trains throughout the continent, those things were just fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean. Um, um, 
Another one that I, I really enjoy very much is uh, Isabel Allende or uh, uh, Luis Sepulveda, the Chilean author also, uh, which whom I, I really enjoy, who died out of COVID, unfortunately. Um, and then, yeah, you know, uh, many different authors. And then in poetry, um, Victor Hugo is kind of uh, central, but another one is uh, Aragon. Yeah, uh, is I consider him as at par with Victor Hugo in terms of uh, how how a master of of the language, a poetic language, he was. Um, but then I enjoyed many different many different types of of or genres. Mm -hmm. um, I've read a lot of things. Lately, I've read, uh, uh, I read, I, I really enjoyed so much reading uh, uh, James Baldwin. That's that's fantastic writing, absolutely fantastic writing. And um, right now I'm reading uh, this uh, Asian novelist, this uh, woman who is little known, but uh, it's it's remarkable, just remarkable. So a whole lot of um, the list is long, is long, it's much longer. But but just to say that I've, I may have been influenced, but I don't, I can't really feel who would have been more instrumental. Yeah, it kind of just like. Um... You took you took it and put it your own. Yeah, stuff. but I'm always inspired when yeah. I read something I, I I enjoy. I think is 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 great. At least I appreciate. I'm, it's inspiring. We were talking about it earlier. You published work on social economic analysis about the health and public health, especially. You wrote stuff about COVID and everything. Yeah, um, recently yeah. they were in news magazines and yeah. stuff. So. Yeah. Would you like to go more detail about that? Yeah. So those those were published in a news magazine. It's a it's an economics news magazine. It's actually, the most circulated in France. Uh, it's a monthly, and I had contributed to uh, to that publication already a number of times. Usually about um, health issues like tuberculosis, for example. Uh, others and uh, you know access to healthcare in the US and other places so yeah uh, you know when COVID hit uh, which was not a surprise to me because working in that field I had been you know in touch with people who were in the thick of it and uh, knew uh, that other pandemics were around the corner uh, not necessarily knowing what kind of pathogen would be uh, the culprit, but uh, knowing that the pathogens were out there and they were just waiting for a opportunity to uh, to spread among us. And, uh, and if you look at the past 40, 40, 50 years, you realize that the frequency with which new pathogens or re-emerging pathogens uh, spread among uh, humans has been increasing 
So the pace of it is increasing. So we know that it's a just, it's not a, 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 it's not a matter of if, but of when. And the when we know is getting shorter and shorter. And if you start back from HIV, you've had a number of other pathogens, you know, emerging. And SARS, the first one was 2003, and that was contained fairly quickly, it was spreading to four different territories, Southern China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Toronto. Mm. So we knew it could travel fast and far. Uh, and it was a coronavirus already. And there's other coronaviruses around the world that are of concern, like MERS in the Middle East, which is also a coronavirus. Mm. And, 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 but it's not as transmissible as the one we've, we've been uh, dealing with lately. So when that thing hit, um, I was, you know, I found myself isolated, unable to travel, because uh, for work that's, you know, I'm independent. And uh, so I work on, on short-term contracts usually, and those take me to many different places around the world and uh, to work with uh, uh, governments, uh, UN agencies, uh, bilateral uh, cooperation agencies, NGOs, and so on and so forth. Uh, that couldn't couldn't happen, so I was stuck here. <laughs> Actually, uh, during the, the first summer, 2020, mm -hmm. I was supposed to travel to France, and I was rejected at the airport because I didn't have a COVID test for Portugal, because I was just transiting, transferring in, in Lisbon from a plane to another. Mm -hmm. So it was Boston, Lisbon, Lisbon, Paris. But because of the Lisbon transfer, I needed a test. In, in France, they were not asking for it. So I, I thought that was fine. Yeah. And the Allies didn't tell me anything. Could be. Because you buy, you, buy, you buy your ticket online, so you're going through you know, one of those platforms. Those platforms, you realize, are not travel agencies. They don't do the job. They are just there to shovel a ticket to you from, you know, this or that airline. That's it. That's all they do. But if you need service, you need much more. <laughs> and you need to get in touch with the, the airlines in particular directly. And so I didn't know. I went to the airport and was rejected. And I said, you know, I was disappointed, obviously. But I said, you are doing the right thing. You are doing the right thing. This is how you control an, an epidemic. You test, so you know what's going on. Anyway, so I started writing and I started modeling because I knew this, the, the numbers were wrong throughout the world. They were wrong. Uh, there was, and there has been to this day, a huge underreporting of uh, the actual magnitude of the pandemic. And we know that I mean, now, now, that's, now it's a known and accepted fact, but back then it was, but clear. And I was really taken aback by the lack of commitment by WHO to really uh, model those numbers and, and, and voice out what was going on in a more clear and, and forceful way to push the countries to really, you know, get their acts together. And you may remember this was really messy. Uh, we didn't know. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of bickering. Uh, WHO itself was being attacked. 
And I mean, it was really, really messy. And what I should have been bringing us together and co collaborating more actually did not even, I think, contributed to dividing us uh, in certain ways. And that was really, really, really distressing. distressing. So I published one article saying that we uh, ought to take this as, a, as an example of why we should cooperate more and maybe even think of some sort of universal healthcare scheme globally, mm -hmm. not only country by country, but think of a, a mechanism to sort of take care of each other country from country. And we do have those actually for infectious diseases. So we have funds, global funds that deal with very specific diseases, mainly three, and, and immunization. So you have those four components, but one is infectious diseases and the other one is uh, immunization. So this is going on. So we could expand on this. And COVID has given us another reason for doing it, but we're still far from there. And so I tried to model and I realized modeling that, yeah, we went, we, I got three times as many cases and deaths than that what was being um, uh, reported. And interest, uh, so I didn't publish this uh, per se, scientifically, but I did publish in that news magazine uh, about some of the numbers I had come up, come up with. It turns out that I was pretty on the mark. Uh, pretty much on the mark because when when uh, modeling started to come out from much more you know uh, serious and and and, uh, and uh, prepared places than me, than myself in that little corner, uh, they were they were they were showing pretty much the same numbers and uh, and then some of the countries started to concede that they had like Peru did very bravely. Peru said, yeah, we. We flunked it. We know that the, that the numbers we have reported are not correct, and they almost tripled the num their, their numbers uh, overnight and kept at it after that. Russia also, eventually, after silencing the whistleblower uh, at the end of 2020, said, "Yes, we do have three times as many dead," but never changed their reporting because they only report on the cases that they have autopsied. Mm. So they cannot, you know, conduct autopsies on everybody that dies. It's impossible. So, but they only report on those. They only notify those deaths. So in public health, in a nutshell, what is absolutely instrumental, and that's one of the lessons from this pandemic, is knowing your numbers as, as you know, as well, as best as you can. And we know it's difficult. There are certain, uh, for example, maternal health. Uh, maternal mortality is very difficult to measure in most, in many countries, in most countries, it's very difficult to measure. Uh, so we have proxies to try to uh, estimate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's fine. I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that we cannot have all the data we would want, but, but you know, at least we can circumvent it. And uh, so that's one thing, get the best data you can, because otherwise you cannot 
you know, know exactly what to do. And you don't know, you don't know the magnitude of the response that you need to put together, which is one issue uh, that we have been through with that, with that pandemic. And the other thing is communication. And I have to say, the US was a case in point because of the cacophony that there was at the highest level of government uh, with very serious and prepared people such as Dr. Fauci uh, and this other, this, uh, this uh, other doctor, this lady, uh, she was very good. She, I mean, the way they were, they were presenting the data they had and they were portraying this, this epidemic, I think was public health 101. But next to them and pushing them aside, well, this guy, you know, <laughs> who said <laughs> the most damaging things and who I afraid has been directly or indirectly responsible for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths in this in this country because of the the, 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 the misconceptions, the miscommunication, the um, uh, complete chaos that he uh, contributed to create at the highest level. And so if the communication is uh, going all over the place and contradicts one uh, each, uh, itself uh, on a daily basis, then, you know, so people who are not too sure what's going on, they can fall one way or the other, they can start interpreting themselves. And then everybody becomes an epidemiologist or everybody has a theory about it, even though very few people actually know what's going on. <laughs> can really speak about it, I would say, in an articulate way. It's very complex. And public health has that thing that is multidisciplinary and it's, uh, it's fascinating, but it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, COVID did a lot for us and everything, and uh, changed a lot and stuff. Yeah, and, uh, good thing I, yeah, I came here in 2021, which was a year later, and stuff. Yeah. They finally got the flight to working again, and I remember <laughs> just chaos, yeah. lack of communication, confusion, yeah, terror. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I can say about that. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that's called right there, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so we we're also talking about you were featured in City Nights, yeah, um, a little cafe, yeah, like Cambridge area. You know, tell us a little about that. Yeah, so um, so I've been uh, going to uh, poetry clubs and venues now for a long time uh, in Paris and here. Uh, so if we talk about, uh, so in Paris, for example, I go to this poetry club that's probably the, 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 the most known, if not the, 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 the oldest poetry venue uh, currently in operation in Paris, where some of the best uh, known poets have, have shown up and shared some of their writings, uh, such as Arabo uh, and others. Um, and uh, so I, I, I go there regularly as, 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 as soon as I'm in Paris, I, I, I go to, the, to that place and befriended lots of people there. I've shared some of my poetry or others. Uh, 
And then uh, here I go to different venues and be, uh, lately uh, I uh, this this uh, city nights uh, venue has been my mainstay. I I I, I, I know the uh, organizer. I actually he was the uh, city poet of Cambridge for for two years uh, in the past. And he's very active in um, in uh, fomenting um, activities around poetry, in uh, uh, bringing poets together, sharing poetry with you know audiences. And so I've read along you know uh, in those venues and also at other places like. Uh, um, at the Lisa Lounge every Sunday, there's uh, oh, the lounge. I know that. Place. Yeah, <laughs> the Poetry Slam that um, uh, Jeff Robinson uh, uh, organizes every Sunday. It's been going on for more than twenty years. So I go there. I've read there too. It's uh, it inspired me actually to write also uh, slam-like poetry. Uh, I've sometimes even been writing as things were going on because you know it was I was getting into the pace to the rhythms and the moods and uh, I could share that um, so um, yeah so there's this place now uh, I, the Cantab also has a, yeah. has a has a has a poetry uh, night every Wednesday so I've read there a couple of times I've mm. been there a few times uh, but the little crepe cafe in uh, Oxford Street is where I go more regularly and I've been sharing, I've been featured there uh, and the, the person who organizes it has, has been pushing me for a number of years now <laughs> from way before even the pandemic to 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 publish, uh, to put together a a collection and submit it to publication. He has actually introduced me to publishers but back then I was, you know, traveling a lot, procrastinating a bit, writing a lot too. So I didn't have, you know, I didn't take the time. I wouldn't take the time to really uh, get really serious about putting this collection together, refining it, ordering it, organizing it. I had done a number by myself because I've written hundreds of poems. And so I, I sort of classified them by genre, by, you know, the themes that they were dealing with. And, you know, some of them are more for maybe younger, younger readers. Those are for, you know, older, older folks and whatever. I mean, I'd, so I'd, I'd, I'd done some of that, but it was... In the meantime, I submitted short stories for publication that got uh, a good... Uh, uh, they were well received, but were not in line with the uh, uh, publishing uh, company's uh, line of work. Uh, and, and so, and I and I'm not very persistent. Like publishing, yeah, uh, I know I should do it because also because I want to share. I want to share. I want to, you know, being involved in, 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 in that in that world also of 
literature, but in the sense of participating in this world, you know, being part of it. This is one of the ways I think I can, I can, I can be part of, can be alive somehow. And uh, that is not easy for me. And, and, and so writing is, is, but sharing what you write also is, is, is part of, uh, of why I should do it. And, uh, and I, I love to do it, actually. I love to do it. I love to get, you know, feedbacks and uh, responses. And they've been fairly positive, so that's very encouraging. Uh, and so he, he, he told me, look, no, you really need to get serious about it. I want you <laughs> to get that collection by. So if you give me deadlines, then, uh, you know, I start to, uh, to get organized. <laughs> And so I, I got it. And so it's going to be published now. Uh, I got it. Uh, uh, I met with the publishers again, and I, I, actually, uh, just a few days ago. And so now I have to come up with a, a like a forward and and a title. So I don't have a title for the collection yet, but I have to come up with that. <laughs> All right. So um, well. Let's get to the Kurt Cobain story. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Kurt Cobain. Um, yeah, that was with your story about him and yeah. um, Lily shared with. Um, I think Lily was telling me about the story and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, that's one thing I yeah. have to translate. Actually, I should do it. I should do. I should uh, uh, now that you're that we're talking about it. I think I, I should try to share it here uh, with 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 people here uh, because it's in French but it was so it came out of a, of a dream mm -hmm. I was in this dream and so just to give you a few uh, points of reference in uh, for the stories I was walking up that high land uh, high ground uh, forested high ground uh, but with open space, I could see a large valley, and it seemed to be—it seemed to me to be uh, uh, the northwest of the U.S., like you know, Oregon, Washington, somewhere. Yeah. Um, so just to let y'all know, um, Kurt Cobain. Um, if y'all don't know about him, he's the famous grunge artist from Nirvana. Yeah. Um, they did "Smell Like Teen Spirit," which is the biggest hit and stuff, and. Seattle was like the grunge city and everything. Exactly. And yeah. that's like one of the first grunge bands and yeah. stuff that he died of suicide yeah. years later. Um, but young, very young, very young, young 27. They have something to say. Yeah, keep going with your story. No, 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 that's <laughs> it. No, no, it's important to remind uh, uh, those who might know of him, uh, well, who he was and what he did. And uh, so, I, I, I couldn't say uh, that I was a big grunge fan necessarily, right? But I was, you know, I think that something touched me about his music and his, the way he was, you know, um, getting it through and living it through. But, again, that's, it's not something I had in mind. It just happened at night. I was, you know, in this place, and here it comes in my dream. You know, I come across this guy. I said, hmm? 
and we'll be fine, right? We're on this, this road, this, this, this countryside road. Uh, and uh, and I, I had just arrived in this little town, this village, uh, and uh, down downhill. And I'm uphill and I come across this guy. So he, he says, you know, I'm, I'm staying here. Why don't you come? You know, we can, we can share a beer or something. So I go to this house that he's staying at. And, uh, you know, I see the instruments, the guitars and everything. And we start talking and the friendship starts developing, really. And, um, and he shares a couple of, of songs with me that he, he was working on. I say, yeah, I know, that's, that's it. You know, that's it. And I really enjoy it very much. And uh, so he asked me, do you play an instrument? And I know that's one of your questions. So I do play the, the guitar, but I play classical guitar and, I, and I'm certainly not, a, you know, very good at you know playing. Uh, I picked it up very belatedly, and um, so I, I played the piano when I was much younger. But uh, but the guitar is something I've been playing more recently, and sometimes going along with very good players. You know, people really uh, some who have been at Berkeley actually. So oh. I, I just I just get along, but 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 doing as little noise as possible. <laughs> <laughs> not to disturb anyone, but I, I enjoy it, I enjoy it. And so he asked me, do you, do you, do you, do you play an instrument? I say, yeah, I'm telling about the, the guitar, and, but you know, uh, not the kind of guitar you're playing, not the kind of music you're playing. And uh, so I, I ended up sitting in front of those drums and, you know, I stopped drumming, but I say, you know, I, I, I've never drummed before, but maybe I can. So it's very inviting. It's like very complacent. Um, no big deal. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you can. It's great. You know, let's go. And so I start drumming for him, but I'm not a good drummer. I just, you know, I, so I, I limit it to the strict minimum so I don't ruin his, his part. <laughs> That's basically what I try to do, not ruining what he's doing. And it becomes, you know, really interesting. And then we, so he invites me to stay over at his place. So I, you know, the next day I move over to his place and we do it again. And at night, that night, uh, we both wake up in the middle of the night. And we find each other in this uh, in this living room, and uh, I tell him about the dream I had just had, where I was drumming along his playing with the whole house, you know, banging or whatever could uh, uh, magnify, amplify the the the, the rhythms. The, you know the temples and I think that it's a great idea <laughs> so we try we, we take pipes we bang on anything that kind of uh, resonates yeah, uh, yeah, it reminds me of um, Stomp you know I've, um, it's, a, it's a movie I used to watch when I was a kid my band director showed it to us yeah they literally drum on the car or they have like um, 
<laughs> they go like the plumbing system and yeah. the hive system. That's exactly And then it, it was, yeah, I, I think I saw them once in New Orleans and they were like, just, it was like literally like house stuff, like pans and pots. Yeah. And everything. They just used like everything you can yeah. find as, as a drum and stuff. I was like, wow, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just creativity to them. Well, that's exactly what and happened. <laughs> we, we banged on the, on the house beams, on the pipes, on whatever can, you know, amplify and, 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 and fill the whole house with that, with that sound. And he plays along and it's an incredible experience. Mm. And I woke up of this. So I have, um, actually I wrote about this uh, quite a bit, but uh, this, this, uh, there's a saying in, in French that says that uh, the night, um, Provides you with some advice, like uh, you know, as you as you sleep, you sort of uh, make sense of what's going on. You 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 find the answers you were looking for, but couldn't find during the day. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. In my experience, it doesn't really work like that. But I have had uh, at least one dream that I can really associate with uh, 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 solving an issue I was facing, and. That dream, actually, this one with Kurt Cobain, was like telling me um, that here is how you could drum. Don't be afraid of doing it. And uh, you can probably get along and, 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 and play the drums, maybe the guitar, probably with serious musicians uh, provided you keep it simple and don't try to get fancy and, and, and do overdo it. Uh, just do what you know, but the little you know might be enough to you know, have a good time and, and share something uh, through music. And that was revealing to me, you know, it was revealing. And I think it was part of my process or my processing of Having started, having had the guts one day to, I was at this party where I met Lily actually, but it was before that. Mm -hmm. And uh, all these guys, all my, you know, Latin friends and American friends and so on playing. And they were, you know, they're great. Some of them do that for a living. And, and you know, and they always hand me the guitar. Why don't you try, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. I say, you know, that's not exactly what I do. <laughs> and that night, I, I, I had come back home, it was one in the morning, and I say, why the heck not? So I picked my guitar, went back there. That surprised them a little bit, but uh, they thought they thought it was cool. And they were all, you know, because those 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 guys play until three, four, five in the morning. Mm. And I came along, that just started, and that was my first time. And so it was Probably shortly after that, I had done it like two, three, maybe four times. And uh, one time I had got some nods from this guy saying, okay, Olivier, that's not so bad. <laughs> doing, doing fine here, you know? And, and uh, because when you learn classical, you learn music very differently. You read music, like, you know, I, I play yeah. a lot of things, so, you know, so I read, I have books and, 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 and I play along, but, but 
so it get, t- tells me whether there's, there's uh, the, you know, um, there's alterations, but I don't know the key. It doesn't tell me this is. Uh... Well, that's a key of G. Okay, so you find <laughs> it right. You know that you you know key of G. But for me, it's it's I've got to compute it, right? I have to. Yeah, that's part of. It's like, not natural. It's not natural. It's stuff. not natural. But for these guys, that's all they know. They actually cannot even read music. Most of them. That's it, a lot. It, that's that's you, perfect with you. With you having those books and having the sheet music. That's very advanced for musicians. Not a lot of musicians can read. No, but the, but yeah, and 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 the, the the friends I have, musician musician friends I have. One of them actually uh, comes along. Uh, now he comes here so we can record poetry and music together, and we have showcased that recently. That was that was nice. cool. Yeah, and and uh, he, for example, from Guatemala, he grew up, you know, uh, playing the guitar because he saw one day one guy in a house playing the guitar. He, he saw him through a, a crack in the door, basically, the door slightly open, and he and and he, he could see how how the connection between this guitar player and the people around him listening and you know participating and he thought it was terrific great he mm-hmm. loved it and he decided to do that and that's what he's done all his life and but he has never learned how to read a single note <laughs> he cannot do it <laughs> but he's not listening so. yeah <laughs> yeah but he's a fantastic guitar, guitar player and he knows throngs of songs from 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 latin america is is Fantastic, and uh, so you know, so for me, of, of course, it's it's not easy to play with these guys because I come from a slightly different musical culture and 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 and, and training, sort of training. Uh, but I so I decided I would I would try I would try to get closer to what they do, and 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 that was that was yeah that was satisfying, and I think so those things. Those things were going through my head. Am I good enough? Can I do it really? Um, how far can I go? Uh, am I am I not limited? I think all those all those questions were going on when I had that dream, and it sort of provided me with a, li- a sort of answer. Not to everything, but at least say, "Don't worry, you can go for it. You you know, um, you probably have." just enough to uh, con- to be part of it somehow and that was that was uh, that was reassuring yeah it's um it's very hard to like not get accepted and stuff like it's it's very easy if you're like a beginner or advanced or anything you can still get accepted and stuff and you can always like like what you got you got books and all that stuff so you keep on yeah practicing to get better and everything. But yeah, I, I sometimes have those feelings like, am I good enough? Am I, can I play for this gig? And I just, like, I try to be perfect with my music and everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not a, just an interview host, I'm a musician too, but. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Um, so let's bring back to Louisiana. So, yeah, New Orleans, that's where the French started was New Orleans, the French Quarter, you know, the French Quarter and everything. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, they, um, New Orleans is a lot of French in it. And also my, um, stepmother, her name is Cherie. 
if you have if you have heard of the name, it's a French name mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So a lot of French culture yeah. came into Orleans stuff. So I kind of yeah, well, kind of thank you. Um, you that's why I like Louisiana. Was, was founded by 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 French people, by Cavalier de la Salle in particular, uh, in the 17th century. Um, yeah, and then the Cajuns also came. Yeah, the Cajuns. The Cajuns actually are Acadien. It's the, mm. the the original name, and Acadia, the 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 area is all the pro, the the Atlantic provinces of Canada. Mm. That's where they were deported from, actually. The first concentration camps that I know of in history were uh, done by uh, British troops against the French living in that part of the world. They, they would um, round them in their villages and their churches on Sundays, for example, as everybody was in the church. They would round the village, burn it down, take all the people out, put them in those camps, so, so that was during the French-English wars, and then half of them died in those camps, and the rest was spread out uh, among the 13 colonies, and then they were mostly rejected from those colonies, and they, the survivors ended up in Louisiana, where there was already a French settlement, so New Orleans and others. And so they brought with them their culture, their language, their music, and uh, and their pronunciations, and this one reason why they call Cajuns or Cajun in French is because it's a mispronunciation of Acadien. Mm. Acadien. <laughs> so all the Louisiana yeah. people out there, yeah. that there's some history about New Orleans and everything. Oh, they they know they know that they know that they probably yeah they know that. <laughs> I learn something new every day, so <laughs> that's what I think yeah. about it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, have you ever taught people how to write and stuff? Um, no, not really. No, not really. No. My kids have picked up writing, and one of my one of my daughters, one is an artist who's dedicated to uh, sculpture and, and and other forms of art, and uh, that she combines and teaches also now. Uh, but my other daughter, who's in uh, film and uh, documentary production. Uh, she also writes poetry, and pretty good one, pretty good one. But that's probably come from you know my writing. But I, that's the old the only transmission I can think of. <laughs> I've never taught anyone how to write because I don't think I'm suited to do that. Anyways, yeah. So um, go back to Europe. We go back to you know just write poems. You know, talk about history and all that stuff. You're doing a lot. So um, we were just talking about plays and stuff. Were they have they been performed anywhere? No, or? no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. Well, it's a recent endeavor. Not writing plays. I've written plays since the '90s, and have a whole bunch of them. Uh, but um, the idea of really getting out there, trying to uh, have a chance to have. One of them being presented. That's that's new. That's new. Uh, and it's been thanks to encounters. Because I go to theater festivals, and one in particular in the countryside, where you know, in the summer, even if it's the middle of nowhere, uh, you only pretty much have 
the only things you have there are forest and cows <laughs> and a few people. But in the summer, it's bustling with uh, lots of uh, music, theater, uh, all sorts of, 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 of things going on. And, uh, and so I go to this one festival in particular that I really enjoy. And uh, that's how I met this director and we befriended. As you know, I shared about writing to her and she said, oh, I'd love to see what you're writing. And uh, I don't know, there was a bond, you know, something happened. And uh, so I sent her a bunch of, of short, short things. And, uh, but she's so busy that uh, she has not had, I think, a chance yet to read any of it. Currently, because I saw her recently in, in January and she had not done it yet. And she assured me she would be doing it within the week, and then within the week she had other issues coming up like sick, sick dad, and so on and so on. Mm. You know, things happen. And uh, here, this my my friend who pushed me to come up with a poetry collection who said, Oh, you're right, because he's also a playwright, and he told me, Well, what, what, well. So tell me about what you're writing, and and then gave gave me an example of something I'd written recently. He said, "Oh, I love it. We should we should organize a public reading of it." So we'll see. You know, it's just in the pipes. I don't know. Is there is there light at the end of the pipes? I have no idea. <laughs> Could be, but I hope so. I hope so. I'd love I'd love it. I love it. Also because I love here mm. Chekhov. That's talking about authors. Chekhov, you know, reading Chekhov and other uh, playwrights, uh, some of the best, best reads. Uh, I love Chekhov. Mm. Mm. And I played, actually, I acted in one of Chekhov's plays, The Bear. I was the bear. Oh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, um, is there some of your play or shorts you want to read to the audience and stuff you'd like to share? Um, sure. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. So in France, um, uh, there's a lot of inter, uh, you would call community here, or racial uh, marriages. Mm -hmm. Lots of it. Okay, that's it's uh, it's fairly common in France. And like uh, statistically, actually, it's 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 been measured, <laughs> but it's uh, way more than in Anglo-Saxon countries where people tend to marry pretty much in, in, in within their communities. <clears throat> in France, it's much more fluid in that sense. And so this is, this is about, uh, this is a couple, a young couple. Uh, he is from um, the Sub-Saharan, uh, the Sahel mm -hmm. part of Africa, which I know fairly well, I go there regularly. And, um, and she is from, She's from France, or you know, from a much older traditional French background, and uh, and she realizes that she's pregnant. Mm. So they're both very happy, and uh, but at some point, uh, you know, he starts. Uh, well, they, they they come. They have different perspectives about it. Obviously, they come from different cultures different backgrounds, and obviously they approach this important event differently. And like he, for him, you know, having a son is like, 
absolute is 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 instrumental. It's 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 a necessity. <laughs> uh, so it's got to be a boy. And she said, "Well, you know, uh, it cannot. I mean, it could, but it's only fifty fifty percent chance, right? Because that's nature." Yeah, but there's a, there a way to to make sure that <laughs> it's just not so. Yeah. So they have the discussion, and it's obviously uh, uh, opening up about you know what's what's important for one for the other, and then they move on and they and they and they brush up on a, a number of other important issues about culture, religion, um, about uh, the, the 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 social. Role of a man and a woman in society, and of course, they have two very different positions there, two different perspectives. She works for him. It's kind of, but if you're going to have a kid, then you won't be able, you you won't be working, right? You know, I mean, it's, you know, and and she doesn't see it that way. And uh, how many kids do you want? You know, it's a, so all of a sudden there's all these issues. That are thrown on the table, and they have to deal with uh, all the concerns that had not been voiced then be, until then, because well, they were in this you know love story, young couple, you know, grabbing life together, and but there comes this thing in the middle, right? And it's it's changing everything. So I can read you, you know, passage. So her name is Carol, mm -hmm. and his name is Moussa. Okay. All right. Moussa, je suis enceinte. She says, "C'est vrai? Tu es sûr? Yes. Are you sure? J'ai fait le test ce matin. I did the test in the morning. Ah, that's good. That's great. Uh, she says, "I I couldn't believe it. J'ai du mal. J'ai eu du mal à le croire. Tu vas rire. Je l'ai fait trois fois." I did the test three times. <laughs> three tests, he asked. <laughs> Isn't that too much? Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, uh, it doesn't cost much. Uh, it, isn't it dangerous for the? He asked. Ce n'est pas dangereux pour l'enfant. Isn't it dangerous for the for the for the for the baby? Uh, don't worry about it, my dear. Uh, um, it's uh, it's not even intrusive because it's you know it's a it's. A, <laughs> You actually, you. So she explains then how she does a test. Uh, so he's, he's, he's concerned about it. What you 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 pee on the test? <laughs> what, what is this thing? It's 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 disgusting. Uh, no no, but don't. This is this is how it works, and it, it works. It does work. Don't worry about it. Uh, so okay, so that's 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 the conversation at, at that point, um, and uh, he says, but. Doesn't your test tell you whether it's a, a boy or a girl? Oh, no, it doesn't. Then you um, um, you have to uh, you have to uh, you have to go to the doctor for that. You have you know it's a different kind of test. And he asks, well, cannot the doctor make sure that it's a boy? She says, but it's not Doctor Frankenstein. It's a, he's a gynecologist. You know, you don't know how to. But. So, so he doesn't know who just wants to be a boy. Yeah, he doesn't know <laughs> who, who who Dr. Frankenstein is. So she has to explain. So that's evidently one part, a little small part of culture he doesn't he doesn't have, obviously. 
who he doesn't share. And uh, so that goes on. And uh, so she said, uh, what about if it's a girl? But no, no, it's got to be a boy. <laughs> I want a boy. It's a very important thing to have a boy. <laughs> you know how prevalent this is throughout the world? That the firstborn should be a boy. And that it had, there has to, there's got to be a boy among the children, at least one. This is this is uh, throughout you know Asia, Africa, and and elsewhere. It's it's uh, absolutely uh, it, it, it is extremely important uh, because for them it's you know the the line of descendants of of, of hair heritage goes through the boys not the girls mm -hmm. yeah so it's for them it's so important uh and for her you know it's well it's it's not that important it's uh she'd be happy with whatever and whoever comes out you know um etc uh and so she talks about dr frankenstein Mebusa Mia ni Dr. Frankenstein, et heureusement parce qu'il est épouvantable dans le film. She says he's an awful character in the movie. Uh, ni un autre docteur qui puisse changer le cours de la nature. So no other, neither this Dr. Frankenstein ever existed, or another doctor can change the course of nature. That's what she says. Mm -hmm. right? uh, nous aurons ce que nous aurons. We'll have what we will have. Uh, ah, you, you man, how you go sometimes, you know, how you, how you approach things sometimes, and uh, etc. And so um, then she uh, she tells him, tells him about the fact that uh, why she, when when she gives birth, then she'll have actually even before that she'll uh, she'll be on leave of absence, paid leave, mm -hmm. right, maternal leave. She'd be on maternal leave. Oh, he says, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. How long? Uh, so she said, well, it's about two, three months, and uh, that's it. It should be two years, you know, and he wants her to stay at home, take care of the kid. And, and so, but she's, she's having issues with that because she sees how, you know, differently he approaches those, those things, and he wants her to quit her job, and uh, she, he wants her to have, a, you know, a baby after that. Another one. So how many you want? <laughs> Five, six, you know. <laughs> and so, he, and then how are, are they going to name him? And so that's another big issue, because he wants him, he wants his son to be. He wants his son, because he only thinks of a son, to be named after his father. So that's another tradition you find in many countries, like Spain, for example, in the Spanish-speaking world. So Latin America works the same. Sons are named after their fathers, and daughters are named after their mothers. In many senses, mm. most in many many cases, and uh, and then so uh, uh, sometimes actually it becomes a little complicated uh, if you read uh, One Hundred Years of Solitude. By this author, whose name is, 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 is hiding from me right now, um, uh, Nobel Prize, and one of the Latin America's greatest authors. Um, 
it, uh, you have to have the family uh, tree with you all along because all these characters are named the same when they are males or when they are females. Mm. So they are all Buendia, but then the first names of you know the grandfather, the great-grandfather, the grandfather, the father, the son, they're all the same. And in the family of my ex, that's the same story. Mm. So uh, she bears the name of her, of her mother. So in order to differentiate them, they add little things, right? So they, uh, for example, in the family, there's an Arturo, and Arturo, who I knew well, the, the great grandfather, then the Arturo grandfather, Arturo father, Arturo son. So each one of them has a little change in his name when colloquially, mm -hmm. when you call them. So you would say Arturo or Bis Arturo for Bisabuelo Arturo, grand, great grandfather Arturo. So you will say Bis, Bis Arturo, you say Arturo maybe for, for, for his son. Then the son of his son will be uh, Arturete, and mm. the next one will be Arturin. Right, mm. but so this is how people differentiate. But basically, they all. <laughs> so there's a little bit of that going on too, in that discussion. Yeah, I was um, actually I was I'm one of the I'm the third of my family. So my grandfather is William Crawford Senior, my dad's William Crawford Junior, and I'm William Crawford Third. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, we I yeah. guess we got that from the. Spanish tradition. I, right, I, I right, noticed right. like male does it a lot more than female. Like I've never yeah. really noticed like female. Like it's um I know they get their middle names from their mothers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not really their first names. Right. right it's right. mostly males yeah. that get their names from their fathers and stuff. In France, on the contrary, we try to avoid that. It's it's fairly rare that someone would name their son or their uh their daughter after themselves. It's mm -hmm. very rare. Precisely, not you know, not to confuse names, uh, not to get you know confused. But but um, in 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 a, in a Spanish uh, tradition, in particular, that is almost the rule. So, but it is. So he wants he wants his son to be named after his father, and she says, "Well, yeah, but uh, you know, I like also that George, for example. And who is George?" <laughs> <laughs> With George. Well, George, you know, it's, uh, I think, our grandfather. Yeah, but that's further away, you know. And then, you know, so they, they, they have those discussions, cultural discussions about, you know, how should we name our son or daughter? Because then they also, you know, she manages to let him acknowledge that he could be a daughter. So if she's a girl, what? how would we, and they have a whole other discussion about, naming a daughter. Mm -hmm. And that's also touches about uh, death and uh, uh, different life, but it's a particular death of young children because it's coming from a country and a family and, and people and a population where uh, there's still a very high uh, child and infant and child mortality rate. So he lost, he lost a, or his family lost a, um, a, a sister of his when she was very, very young, just a few months old. And um, 
and he, he, he thinks of naming his possible daughter after her. Yeah. Right? That's one of the things he has in mind. It's not the only name, but he is thinking of that. And so she, so they have, there's a moment actually of, of uh, tension and tenderness between them because uh, she didn't know the name. Of, she knew about the, the, the dead sister, but she didn't know her name. And so when he says that, she she's like, she at that point she has become a little nervous about the whole thing. And she said, okay, so who is this uh, Aisha too? Is that, is, is she yet another of your of your sisters? And he's, he's, at this point he's, he's kind of angry because he says, that's my, that's the sister who died. Oh, I'm so sorry. So, you know, then she, because she loves him. And, and she says, oh, I'm so sorry, Musa. I, I didn't know. Had I known, I would have never said that to you, but uh, I'm very sorry. And so, you know, and so they talk about the pediatrician because, you know, the kid will have a pediatrician. And he says, what? Pediatrician? What's that? <laughs> he has no idea mm. uh, because they're not used to having pediatricians. I, I know pretty well the healthcare systems there. Let me tell you, having a pediatrician following, you know, upon what's going on with your, with your, with your kids, mm. that's extremely rare. Extremely right. So he doesn't know what a pediatrician is. And he says, well, pediatrician? What's, what's that? Why? It's, it's a doctor who, you know, who f follows up kids, who takes care of kids. And what? You, are, you, are you saying that our kid is going to get sick? For him, you know, a doctor means you're going to get sick. You're sick. No, she said. So she has to explain to him also, you know, uh, 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 the, 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 uh, the healthcare uh, uh, dispositions arrangements of of uh, his new country because he doesn't know, so they have to negotiate that too, and so on and so forth. There are some other there there are other uh, issues that they have, like he wants to uh, have you know all the the women in his family come, so they can take care of the kid too because that's how they do it there. And she's a bit sad about it because, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> and so they, they also talk about, you know, how one society deals with uh, bringing up kids versus the other one. And so they, they try to, uh, and there's some moments of, of, of uh, sort of uh, humor too in there. Where like she say, oh, you, you man, you man. <laughs> <laughs> because he's not only a man from Africa, but he's also a man to her, right? Yeah. And so he said, you men. And, and at some point he's like, oh, you women. You know? <laughs> because, because, you know, because yes, they have, they have an approach that somehow, somewhat is males or is females because that's, that's who they are also. So there's the gender uh, uh, negotiations also and differences going on there. You know, so it brings up a whole bunch of, and it's a fairly short, you know, it's not a very long uh, text, but but it was really interesting to have all these things being packed there and negotiated and going back and forth and and, and with emotions. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, hopefully we can, we can, we can share this. Yeah, it's very, um, very interesting. I'll definitely be interested in everything myself. Yeah and probably all the people out there too. Um, so yeah, um, so what's your writing vision gonna be like in um, like 
this coming year, 2023? Like, what's your future vision in, in writing and stuff? Well, thank you. Uh, that's a good question. So, uh, I have been conflicted uh, over many years now about uh, dedicating myself more to writing. Conflicted in the sense that I need to make make a living. You know, I have two daughters. Uh, I rent here. Uh, you know, I need to come up with an income. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I've been working and I work. What I do for work is can be uh, very demanding, um, especially when I travel in the field, uh, all sorts of things going on, lots of you know, lots of activities, meetings, visits. I go to the can- to around countries sometimes, uh, you know, to to visit places, meet with people, talk about what's going on, and so on. So. so can be uh, quite uh, demanding. And when I travel, I still write. I still, I always carry with me what I, the things I'm, 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 that are going on in my writing. And so I have always my notebooks and, and so on and so forth. But it's not the same, right? So when I come back, I have to write those reports. I do, you know, I have to uh, sometimes build models because I, I do computing. Uh, computing costs for a whole policy or program, things of that nature. So it's a lot of time. It's time consuming. Uh, so what I've done is I've tried to um, slow down on on the on, on, on the workload by reducing the number of, of uh, assignments that I uh, get involved with. And also by recruiting people whom I have known through uh, more than 20 years of work and in this in this line of work because I've done other things before and um, whom I can uh, share some of my work with like certain tasks that I you know where probably they that they can uh, with some comfort, I feel, uh, you know, uh, perform. And uh, so, as they do parts of that, that work, I can relax and dedicate myself more to writing. But it's always a conflict. It's always a conflict. So, like I just finished two assignments and teaching, and I had to grade the papers. I was back in France, um, and I really decided that I would not work for a while because I really want to dedicate more time and little energy I have <laughs> can gather to doing this. And if not, what's the point? Because I've realized that this is what is most important to me. Um, it took me years to acknowledge it. Also because I didn't really have much of a choice for many years. Um, for all sorts of reasons. But I know this is... This is... Um, 
how would I put it? Because I don't want to 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 sound too. Um, it's just something you um, want to do. It's, yeah, it's, I, it's that's something, something I, you're passionate about. I need to you do. Can, I need to do exactly. I cannot help it. It, um, it relates to me being a musician and stuff. Everybody has their own passion, right. their own focus and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And if you do something that you don't want to do, it's going to be stressful. Yeah. And it's going to be miserable. But if you want to do something that you want to do and develop a great career yeah. with it, then you got it. You know, I was instilled fear and doubt about what I was doing. And I was directed or inspired no, but uh, encouraged to do something else and get into some direction of, of, in my life. And so that's been a battle all along. And so that, that fear and that, that doubt have been present in me um, and doing quite a lot of damage, I have to say. And so I've always interrogated myself. Why the heck do I do this? Uh, is it appropriate? Am I... Am I capable? Um, is there any interest in doing it for others uh, besides myself? Uh, so it's always grappled with that, with, with those issues. But at some point, I say, hey, you know, what's really moving you? What 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 is really important? How do you want to be alive in this in this world? And that's definitely one of the ways I want to be alive. I need to be, I need to be doing this because otherwise there's part of me that is not alive, that's, that's dead, um, that is, you know, not, not uh, uh, flowering. And um, yeah, that's why. So to answer your question, yeah, this year I really, hey, by the way, well, this, this is, one thing, I, when I was 20-some, I worked with this guy at some point. He was, he was Amazon before, before the internet existed because we had the internet in France. Mm -hmm. We had a form of internet. Uh, and I worked with this guy who had this idea of um, selling books online for publishers. So the publishers would put their their line of books online, and so people could you know see what they had and could order them from the libraries or whatever from the bookshops. I mean, whatever. But there was there was this this idea, and so we I, 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 we tried to 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 see what what we could do with it. But he told me, as we were coming back actually from the largest book fair in the world, which is in Frankfurt, Germany. We were coming back from there, and he told me, you know, I talk, I, we talked about writing and what I was doing and my ambitions back then about writing, which were grandiose, kind of, uh, way above my head. And he said, you know, I think you'll publish your first book when you're 60. I don't know whether this was good or not to say this to me, but that's what he said. And I'm 60, and my first book is about, is probably around the corner with this poetry collection. Mm -hmm. So this guy was prescient. 
So this year is is probably probably an important year. Uh, but hey, I thought you know I've been thinking year after year that this would be the year, and it didn't happen. So I just um, I'm, I'm I'm very cautious about it. Uh, seems to be a bit more promising this time. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, are there any parting words you would like to leave our listeners with? Hmm. No, I don't know. Um, well, first of all, I, I, I'm really uh, so grateful that um, well, that I met Lily, and then I met you, and that you're here today, and that I we're conducting this interview. For me, this is pretty surreal. Uh, plus, who am I? You know, and uh, I don't have much to show for it. Uh, and um, but yeah, it's things happen and. Uh, you never know. Uh, just, I'm glad I, I kept at it, uh, and that I have, have not been totally discouraged about it, and that I can share. For me, that's the most important. It's it's about sharing. It's about uh, um, getting to touch others and being touched. Uh, connecting, uh, conversing, uh, yeah, well, I don't know if that's, that's good enough, but, uh, that's yeah, well, yeah, thank you so much for, very, um, very welcome. for being part of this interview, Olivier, and, um, yeah, just, very inspiring um, <laughs> to hear all the information from you and uh, just all the writing and inspiring Boston, France, and all over the world. We're going to post this on YouTube and yeah. Spotify and everything, so everybody's going to listen to you and posts. You can say like, hey, I'm part of this interview and stuff. And so I know you're doing really great things and stuff. So. Thank you for enjoying it. Um, thank you for joining us. And um, if you'd like to book a lesson with um, any of our faculty from Lily Theatre Company, go to www.lilytheatrecompany.org.